Um, who's excited to get into the Word today? Now, I, I mean that on a couple uh, levels. One, uh, we're going to really get into the Word today. So if you've got a Bible, you got your Bible out, you want to open it up or turn it on. Look, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I could be wrong, but it, it seems like good old-fashioned Bible teaching. Maybe it's just up in the Northeast. Maybe uh, Fredericksburg, Texas can tell us something different. But, um, <clears throat> you know, up here, um, a lot of times um, we're, we're almost afraid to get deeper into the Word. You know, like we're going to bore people or something, right? Or they're going to have to actually read. Or they're going to actually, like, have to plug into the stories and the understandings of things. But uh, today's going to be one of those ones that a lot of this is going to be maybe new for you. But it's, it's really digging in deeper to try to really understand the next level on our sermon series, right? Uh, Rediscovering the Father. And so today is entitled uh, Zipporah's Key. Zipporah's Key. So before we get into who and what and why and how of Zipporah, uh, let's talk about keys, right? Uh, a key is that which opens and closes doors, obviously, locks them or unlocks them. Uh, in the spirit, uh, uh, keys, spiritual keys allow you to access things of the Lord, things of the Father, but also it allows you to lock those things that Satan is trying to walk through, right? It's a two-way street. So there are certain spiritual keys of understanding that as we unlock them, right, unlocking and understanding that, okay, you're not just a Christian, but that you are son and daughter of the Most High God, right? Things of that nature, and there's, there's lots of them, um, that we are able to really begin to have true access to what the Father has for us, and also close the door to those things that Satan is trying to do uh, towards us, Right? And so, uh, essentially what we have here is this. Uh, Zipporah's key, which we'll be talking about obviously today, is an understanding uh, that I believe that will release you into your God-ordained destiny. Okay? It is a, a revelation um, that, interesting enough, Moses needed that he did not have. But his wife, Zipporah, is going to show it to him. I think that's very, very powerful and very, very important. <clears throat> So we're going to be out of Exodus and a little bit out of Genesis today. And so I think it was last week we were talking about the name Exodus, right? Exodus is to leave, right? But in Hebrew, the book Exodus is not called Exodus. It's called Shemot, which is the book of names, right? It's just the book of names. Shem is name, Shemot is plural, names. It's the book of names, right? That is the title, and so, uh, many people view the book as the telling of the deliverance of the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And today I want to be referring to Israel largely as the Hebrews. Why am I doing that? Is because in the text they're referred to the Hebrews in the book of Exodus. Once they're leaving, uh, once they leave Egypt, they get the name Israelites. Okay? Um, so, I'll be using them interchangeably so you know. But the title, right? The title of this book... Exodus, Shemot, is names. And last week, we talked about the ultimate revelation of a name. And that is Yahweh, Jehovah, right? I am that I am, I am now, and I am what I will be in the future. It's the notion of knowing a God that is retrospective, introspective, and one of expectation. And then we have to invite God, not just into our future and our present, but if we do not want to be a sick believer, you have to invite him into your past. 
Because he's the God of the past. He's not just the God of now. He's not just the God of the future. He's also the God that is able to go back and say, I was there with you in that difficult time. And many believers do not invite that process in, and then you get sick, messed up Christians. Or in this case, a little bit of a messed up, sorry, a little bit of a messed up guy by the name of Moses. This week, uh, we're taking a look at this Zipporah and how she will unlock a revelation and understanding for both Moses and for you. Both for Moses and you. But not many people have studied a gal by the name of Zipporah. Bird. A beautiful bird. Uh, let's uh, open up, crack open Exodus chapter 4. Let's, uh, let's get a little understanding of the story. Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. <clears throat> then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So we take a look at this story. There's a bunch of characters. You got God. You got Moses. You got Moses' wife, Zipporah. You have a father-in-law by the name of Jethro. And then you have a child, actually two children, um, Gershom and also Eliezer, which we find out their names before and later. But these are the characters. And when we take a look at the story of Moses, it's very, very typical. Maybe it's because of a patriarchal kind of culture that we zoom in on the male figure. We zoom in on Moses, okay? Uh, and obviously we should do that because he's the, the, the center of the story in many regards. But, you know, in any kind of movie or in a book, right, the subtleties and the power of a story and a plot are, are usually in the minor characters or what you see, think, what you seem to think are the minor characters, right? Uh, they're the ones who really put the polish and the edge and the epic nature to a story, right? So, Zipporah. Without Zipporah here, I'm not, I'm not sure if you read through the lines, without his wife, what on earth would happen to Moses? He'd be dead. The holy Mashiach, the anointed one, the deliverer of God's people, would be dead. By the hand of God. If it wasn't for his wife. Right? Not only that, I don't know how it would all play out, right? But the Hebrews, I'm assuming now, would not be delivered from Egypt. Or God would have to raise up another deliverer, right? But something's going on. I mean, it's pretty big. Moses, the great Moses would be dead, and the 
Hebrews would still be making bricks in Egypt if it wasn't for a woman that we just glance over and read over. It's, 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 it's so powerful. So here we go, right? The actions of Moses, God, and Zipporah all teach us about our perception of God the Father. And Zipporah's key is essentially a key to understanding that Moses simply does not have. And I think many people in the church don't have the understanding that Zipporah had. Essentially, Zipporah's mindset releases Moses from the hand of death and also ensures that Moses will be able to live out his prophetic destiny before God. Not bad for two sentences, right? That's pretty amazing. So, you know, really to understand this, we've we got to do a little bit of a contextual thing. We'll be talking a little bit about what we studied last week. Those of you not here, you can get a little very brief summary. And for those that were, it would be a good little reminder. The context of this entire story, which we're just talking about, Moses going to his father-in-law, they are about to leave. Zipporah is like, what the heck's going on? We have to circumcise the son. Um, is all coming out of a context where it's like, it's like almost ridiculous. You're like, I mean, Moses just was on the holy mountain of Mount Sinai. There's a burning bush. It's not being consumed. Um, God reveals his name for the first time, as we were talking last week, I am that I am, right? No one has known me. The patriarchs didn't even know me by this name. I'm revealing to you, Moses, for the first time. That was last week. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's like kind of like unbelievable um, that that is part of the context. And so what's going to happen here is Moses is, is, is being asked by God to, to, to go to Egypt and to deliver his people. And, uh, and Moses like, just comes up with excuses, right? We all know the story, right? He just keeps coming up with these excuses. But I think a powerful part of the context is this. We were studying last week how we need to invite God into our past, the I am. And essentially Moses, or the I was, essentially Moses is sitting there like, who, who am I going to say has sent me? And, and how am I going to say like, yo, for the last 400 years you guys have been in slavery, like, where was God during that suffering? Where was God during that time, right? And we were saying about the God's name, Yahweh. In fact, is saying, well, what do you mean? I, I am the past. I was there with you, right? And so here's a little recap from, uh, from yesterday. All right, Josh, I guess it's magically not working. Unbelievable. Yeah, man. So you're going to have to be my clicker. Did it just go? Oh, uh, you did? <laughs> We're having these really weird problems, tech problems. It's so strange. All right, so uh, Lord responds, and he says, this is, this is what you, you need to tell Israel. He says, I, or Moses is going to have to declare that, that God sees the oppression. If you read over the scripture, uh, Moses um, has to say to Israel that uh, God sees the oppression. Next, please. Uh, that he hears their cry. Next one, Josh. That he knows their sorrow, and uh, I believe there's one more. He sees their oppression. And so what we have here is, look, remember we said last week that Yahweh, you serve a God that is not just a noun, but he's a verb. He's an action. And we see him reiterating this to, to Israel. Like, I was there. I saw it. I was there with you. I understand the pain. I understand the suffering. I was there with you. Next slide, please. I am with you. 
This is all from last week. I am being, I am existence, I am reality, I am in the groan of a beaten slave, in the wail of a bereaved mother, in the spilled blood of a murdered child. But I do not see these things from some distant heaven, holy and removed from your existential pain. I'm there with you, suffering with you, praying for redemption together with you. So this is not a concept, like you have to be, you got to be real here, right? Some Egyptian Hebrew Minionite guy comes out of the wilderness and says, Hey, God, who no one knows his name, but God told me to deliver you and you need to come with me. If I'm sitting there as someone who's making brick for the last 400 years, I'm going to be like, yeah, okay. Where was he the last 400 years? Where the heck was he? And the response is, I was. That's who I am. My existence was with you. I was, I'm in the suffering. I'm in the difficult time. And so we were talking about how like, Israel needed to understand that, and you need to understand that. That's something that we were learning last week. But as I was reflecting on it this, for this week, I was like, oh my goodness, this whole God of future, this whole God of present, this whole God of past is not just for the Hebrews to know. It's not just for them to understand this, that Moses himself needed to understand this concept. And the problem is, he doesn't. Yeah, God was there with Israel during the difficult times, but the, uh, the, the message is also for with Moses. I was there with you when you were going through all of your stuff. But it's crazy. Moses actually does not get it. He doesn't get his identity in God. He doesn't. How do we know this? Come on. I'm walking outside in the, in the mountains and I see a burning bush and I hear an audible voice. And the voice says, I am the God of your fathers. I am calling you into this prophetic destiny. You are standing on holy ground. Take your shoes off. I don't know. I think, I think I'm going to do what he says. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think I'm going to be coming up with excuses. But I don't, I don't really speak real well. You know, i got this thing on my back. I can't really walk real far, blah, blah, You know, I don't know, God. I don't know if I can do this. Like, it's kind of like, come on. To see a burning bush moment. It's good. And now to come up with excuses, it's like, holy cow, Moses. But like, look, here's the reality. I mean, Moses is like us, and we're like Moses. We come up with excuses all the time. Good. All the time. You know that, right? I don't have to, like, teach out of that, right? Exodus chapter 4, 1. Then Moses answered to God and says, but, but suppose they will not believe me. Or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And now there's a list of things that God does before Moses to say, well, you're going to do this to them and then they're going to they're know. What are the things? Is pick up that stick, that rod, turns it to a serpent. And he's like, oh my gosh. And the God says, pick him up by the tail. He's like... Okay, I pick up the tail, it goes back into a stick or a rod again. And then in the scripture it says this, very specifically, he says, this has happened and will happen so that they will believe. That they will believe. This is something that I, I never really understood in the story before. So I just read over it every Passover, but I don't really understand this, the, the nuance here. So then Moses is still kind of like, ah, I don't know, man, you know. God's like, take out your hand. Boom. Turns to leprosy. Now put your hand in your bosom. Put it in your pocket. Take it out again. Boom. Goes back to a normal hand. 
God says, you're going to do this before them, and this will be a latter sign, will be a secondary sign to them, to them, I want to emphasize. Moses is still like, oh, yeah, I don't know, I still don't know. So, all right, take the water, go down to the water, pick up the water in the vessel, take the water, pour it out on the ground, and when it hits the ground, it's going to turn to blood. Boom, it happens. Now, these, these are different than, the, than the, the plagues of Egypt, right? These are just signs and miracles. So what? So that they, Israel, the Hebrews, will know that I am the God of the past, the God of the present, the God of the future, and I've called you to be a deliverer and take them out of bondage. So what did I not get in the past? I couldn't believe it. The signs and the miracles that are these are not for Pharaoh. Wow. He doesn't say for, for Pharaoh. He says for they. For Israel. For the Hebrews. Like these signs and miracles are so that they believe I am the God that I am saying I am and that you are my deliverer. Yeah. It's quite amazing. And so fine, that happens and now there's this weird pause in the story. Very weird. Moses sees all this. He walks down the mountain and he goes to his father-in-law Jethro and says, is it okay if I leave and go to Egypt and do all this stuff? And his father-in-law is like, yeah, go. It's very weird. I'm just going to be real. Like, I, I would not go to my, after seeing God like that, I'm not going to go to my father-in-law and be like, hey, Len, you think I could, uh, you think I can do this thing that God has spoken over me? Like, he visited me in a burning bush. I just want to get your permission first. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like I, can, I understand the notion of respect that's there, but I think there's actually something a, little, something a little different that's going on in Moses' psychology, which we need to get into. It's like he approaches his father-in-law as if Moses was a servant. Wow. See, this is the problem. Moses' excuses are, are not just excuses. Moses is going to his father-in-law as a servant. It's not like, I don't think it's out of honor. I think it's really, it's because Moses has a very, very deep identity problem. That's good. Come on. And, and people do not get into this because we just read the, the good version of Moses' story. And one thing that I appreciate, one of the many things that I appreciate about the Hebrew scriptures is that they, they, they are okay, like, being real. Like, Moses has got it wrong. King David committed a really, really bad set of sins. And we're going to make sure that you see it. We're not going to gloss it over. We're not going to make it like all like, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Because these men are real men and real women who sometimes get it wrong. It's good. Come on, man. But we in the West, we read like, oh, Moses, Moses. No, Moses, you had some issues. It's good. Come on. And God still used you. But it took a wife to set your mind right. All right, so Exodus chapter 1, and these are the Shemot, these are the names. These are the, the, the book is about names, but it's very weird. It's very, very strange. You just gotta, you don't understand, you just gotta, you're gonna have to trust me on this a little bit. In, in, bar, in biblical literature, biblical narrative, uh, the way it works here is you have to understand every word, every word is, is, is placed there by the Spirit of God for a purpose, okay? There's a reason why it's there. Uh, not only that, but there are, there are patterns and there are concepts that are used in order to signify importance. One thing is this. When you have 
a very important figure that God is going to use in the Bible, it always is, 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 is preceded by this like very, very annoying, usually most people just glance over, annoying list of genealogy. It's like, oh my gosh, like, son of so, begot so-and-so, begot so-and-so, and you just ah, I'll just skip over that and get to the, the good part. Right? I mean, many believers, many Christians do that. Which makes this very, very bizarre because it, Moses is, is, I mean, second to Jesus, maybe David. I don't know. I don't know how do you put it in a pecking order, but like Moses is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. He's tremendously important. Not only is he important to the story, not only is he important to the literature, not only is he important by writing the, the word of God and receiving the commandments, but he's also one of the first archetypes of the coming of the Messiah, right? A Messiah, a redeemer, an anointed one, right? He's so important. But yet with that, no genealogy. Wow. In a book called Names. Like, you, you, gotta, you gotta get this. You can read Exodus 1, 2, and 3 where this stuff is going on. Um, uh, it says that Moses is born. He's born to parents. No names. Like, we're introducing this main character, most influential figures in the history of mankind and in the spirit. And he's born, but he has no parents that, like, he, it says that he was born, but it doesn't say their names. No names, no genealogy, no connection, no identity. He has a sister that puts him in the, in the, in the, in the uh, basket, right? The sister doesn't have a name. Then he's sent to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter picks him up. Well, it's Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter doesn't have a name. Her name is not Pharaoh's daughter. But there's no name. It's just Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh is not a name. It's a title. So his adopted dad doesn't have a name. His adopted like mom, aunt, weird thing, Pharaoh's daughter, doesn't have a name. His actual biological parents don't have a name. His sister doesn't have a name in the story. All we got is a kid by the name of Moshe who doesn't have a name yet. A child, right? He does not have a name yet until Pharaoh's daughter picks him up out of the water and says his name shall be Moshe, meaning drawn from water. The baby is in a rough spot, man. And this is very bizarre too. So he grows up. Is, am I, is, is he an Egyptian? Is he a Hebrew? No father, no identity, doesn't know his last name, doesn't know where he's come from. It's like, can you imagine as like a being brought up in this, he's probably like, what the heck am I? But yet somehow, some way, he knows that he is a Hebrew, which is very interesting. No one tells him in the story that he is a Hebrew, that he's a Levite. No one says it, but somehow he knows it. Because in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, he goes out to his brethren. So he goes out to his brethren to scope things out, and what happens when he's there? Kills an Egyptian. Well, okay, great Moses, you just killed any connection you could ever have with your adoptive family. Like you just killed one of their own. You just killed them severing the connection to your adopted family. Then the next day he goes out, now he sees the Hebrews fighting and gets involved. And what do the Hebrews say to him? Who made you a prince to judge us? It's like, oh man. Now he's in a whole lot of trouble, and so now what does he do? He flees to a land called Midian. Still, like, no names. Goes to a place called Midian. Midian is not of the, 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 the heritage of Israel. Uh, they, they are 
sons of Abraham, but they're not the sons of Israel, but um, he goes to this place of Midian and he takes a foreign wife. No, no. Not supposed to be doing that. Then he has a son. He names him Gershom. If this doesn't prove the point, I don't know what does. I, I name my son Gershom, meaning I'm a stranger in a strange land. He, he, he does not know what the heck's going on. So look, Moses has this deep, deep identity problem. No family, no heritage, no connection. I think the psychology of Moses is he really is, is tough. Like, am I an Egyptian? Am I a Hebrew? Am I a Midianite? I really think to, to use a modern phrase is essentially is Moses is one of the first characters of the scriptures, maybe not the first, but one of the first, that really has adopted this notion of the orphan spirit, right? I don't know who my daddy is. I don't know who my family is. Uh, what's going on? I even have to ask my father-in-law now for permission. Is it okay if he lets me go? It's like, it's, it's not the inheritance of a son that just knows that he has a job to do before God, but he has to get this kind of permission to get things done. And so it's because of this orphan spirit that he makes excuses before a living God on holy ground. And he has to ask his father-in-law for permission. You get what I'm saying? This is, this is really essential for understanding the story. And it's really essential for you to understand this kind of concept, the key, that will release you into a better understanding in your own prophetic destiny. So for the essential pieces for understanding the story here, we have, we have Yahweh, the God who was and is and always will be, that instructs Moses on his identity. He says, Moses, this is very, very powerful in the scriptures. This is the first time Moses probably has ever heard this type of vocabulary. I am the God of your fathers. Wow. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. On this mountain for the first time in his life, Moses gets a release, you would think. The God of all being has just come to you and said, I am the God of your fathers. Meaning, if you are one of mine, you have fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the first time in Moses' life that he, he has heard something like this. I have a father. I have the heritage. It's huge. But yet he still doesn't get it. Uh, that's when Zipporah comes in. Zipporah is needed to make this identity a real reality in Moses' life. Uh, she makes it a reality and shows the reality by literally casting the reality of identity at his feet. Wow. Wow. Come on. Now we got we to take a look at what that means. I mean casting at his feet. We just read it like 20 minutes ago. He casts, she casts the reality of his identity at his feet. Literally. Okay? So let's, uh, let's take a look and fill in a little bit more pieces to try to start bringing this all together. God reveals these signs and these miracles to Moses in order for Israel, the Hebrews, to see and recognize that he is the one true God and Moses is set forth. Right? We got that? I mean, they're using this, this, this plural pronoun, they, them, they, them. But now in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, we got this. This is God speaking. <clears throat> then you shall say to Pharaoh, Moses, say this to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. 
So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. You see this, guys, the sign to the oppressor, the sign to Pharaoh, the sign to the person that has you in bondage. What is the sign to let you go? I am God's son. So you have to leave me alone. You have to release them. It's not in signs, it's not in miracles, it's not in healing. It's through a revelation that no one has authority over this spirit in this body because I am a son of God. The miracles and the signs to show the brethren that God is true and he sent you. But the revelation that you are the firstborn of God is the revelation and the understanding that Satan, bondage, the oppressor, the taker of your soul, has zero authority and he must let them go. This is, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge, the first time that God really develops this notion of a father-son motif. I know it's in like with Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac and all that, but this is like the first time I believe God out of his mouth is like, Israel is my son. This is my son. These are my firstborn, right? I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. It may happen earlier, but I was digging through to literally have that vocabulary come out of his mouth. And that vocabulary is dealing with the notion of being oppressor and being in bondage. He saves it for that moment. You get what I'm saying? He saves it for when? when? When his children are oppressed in bondage. There's a reason for this is going on. Okay? <clears throat> Josh, can you do the next one, please? Uh, the place of deliverance from bondage is not simply in miracles. It's, it's, it really is in a revelation. And it's a revelation that you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's in the revelation of sonship. You know? It's really where it's at. And so this is really bizarre. I mean, Moses, as I said earlier, sees a, morning, a burning bush. He hears the audible voice of God. He sees signs and miracles, but yet he still makes excuses. Why does he still make excuses? He still makes excuses because he still does not really understand his identity. Because he's still chained to the hurt of the past, of being confused. You go to the next slide, please. And this is the way it works, man. The bruise of the past can cloud the revelation of being the firstborn. And that's not just for Moses, that's for you. There's many of us who cannot walk in their full destiny and prophetic calling in their life before God because inside of your mind and your spirit, you're still a baby in a basket amongst the reeds being neglected by your family. You don't remember that, that God orchestrated for you to be pulled out of the water. You, you, don't, you haven't understood yet that, that God has even raised you to places of power and position in Pharaoh's own kingdom. You're still like, who's my dad? Who's my mom? What's my inheritance? What's my connection? Moses cannot be used as a deliverer until he knows who he is. You can see signs, wonders, miracles. You can hear the audible voice of God. But until you know your identity as being a son or daughter in covenant, yeah. you will do nothing. That's good. Yeah. 
you'll do nothing. In fact, you won't even do anything because you're going to be so paralyzed by fear. And all you're going to do is make excuses. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I'm too tired. I'm too fatigued. I've got too many responsibilities. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, you have a God that put himself on a cross to purchase your body and your spirit for all of eternity. That's even greater than seeing a burning bush, if you can believe it. But yet we make fun of Moses for excuses, but the church is riddled with excuses. But, but, but my 401k, excuses. But, but I'm not eloquent of speech, excuses. You have the Holy Spirit living and residing inside of you. You know that, but you don't understand the revelation. You don't understand the revelation. Because you don't have a Zipporah in your life. How do we know, and uh, Mary, why don't you come on down, bro? How do we know that Moses really does not understand this? I mean, there's obviously a couple of reasons. I mean, there's the whole notion and the reason of that he, he, he's making excuses. And I think, well, I, I'm hopefully made that like, very clear by now. But I, I, I do really believe that there's, there's, there's more of the understanding here. In biblical times, the mark, the mark of your identity, of being a part, <clears throat> excuse me, part of the household of Israel, the household of God, the sons of Abraham. The mark was through what was called the Brit Milah. The covenant of circumcision. It's actually very, very significant. Genesis chapter 17 verse 9, we, we see how significant this mark, this identity, this, this, this pulling back of the flesh was for Israel. Or really, to be honest, not just Israel, but for all the sons of Abraham. Genesis chapter 7, verse 9 says this. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you. Whoa. And your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or brought with, bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be killed, shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. I, I, I'm a little nervous saying this, but in, in, in the, in the old, older testament, we don't really see a clear motif of like if you sin, you, you like go to the belly of the earth of, of hell's fire. What, what the penalty was, if you break the covenant of God and you break what he says, you are carrot. You're cut off from the covenant of God. You murder, you commit adultery, and you're cut off. You don't circumcise your son. Not the child is penalized, but the father is penalized. You're cut off from the nation. 
It's the mark. It's the mark of your inheritance. It's your mark of the connection between you and the Holy God. And this is, really, the manifestation of Zipporah's key. Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. I told you we're getting into it today. And it came to pass on the way at the tent, at the encampment, that the Lord met him, met Moses, and sought to kill him. Why was he going to kill Moses? Because he did not circumcise his son. He was not willing to mark his son to be in covenant relationship. Why? Moses doesn't understand covenant relationship. That's why. He's seen signs, wonders, and miracles. He's heard the word of God. But he has no understanding of covenant relationship because he's an orphan. Next slide, please. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, capital H, God, let Moses go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Circumcision is covenant relationship. Who remembers? Who knew? Zipporah. Zipporah knew. Did Zipporah see God face to face? Did Zipporah see God on a holy mountain? Did Zipporah get the tablets of stone? Did, well, that comes later, right? But, but Zipporah does not have that like Moses had. But she knew. She knew. She knew covenant. Why? Zipporah has an identity. She has a healthy identity. She knows she's a daughter of Jethro. She knows she's a Midianite. A Midianite, a descendant of Abraham. Not of Israel, but a descendant of Abraham that was called to bear a covenant too. A covenant of circumcision. She knows. She knows her father. The scripture says she's one of seven daughters, the eldest. And what did her daddy name her? Zipporah, my beautiful bird. Come on, there's a relationship between a daughter and her father. Moses gets a name because of something that was done to him. Zipporah gets a name because that's how her father sees her. Moses is drawn from water because of what just happened. But Zipporah is known as a beautiful one, a beautiful bird, because it's the way her father sees her. Come on, Dave. Woo! I hope this is sitting. It took me a long time to wrestle this out. And she's sitting there. We don't know if it's Gershom. We don't know if it's Eliezer. One of the two sons has not been circumcised. And she's sitting there looking at her son. And she sees what's going on. She I, I, it's almost like she doesn't care about Moses. Maybe she does. I'm sure she does. But she, she, this is all for her son. It's for her son. She's like, nine months this kid was inside my womb. The rigors of childbirth. Breastfeeding. He shall be circumcised. He shall be in covenant. He shall be a son of Abraham, a son of Yahweh. Now Moses forgets or doesn't even care about the sign of the relationship. Next slide, please. Moses puts the acts of his calling before the relationship. 
Zipporah puts the relationship before the act. The Holy Deliverer is so concerned about what he has to do, that relationship is gone. It's like not even there. And so here it is, man. You may know the name of the Father. You may even know signs, wonders. You may even have wonderful ministries. Although the people here with wonderful ministries, I know you know covenant relationship. But all of this can go on. But the thing here is, do you know? No matter what you're doing, do you know him like Zipporah knew him? Not just through signs, wonders, and miracles, but through the understanding of covenant and the understanding of relationship of father to daughter, father to son. Slide, uh, next slide, I think. Yeah. As if there isn't more. There, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> you have become, Moses, you have become a husband of blood. Uh, because of what? Because of the circumcision. Next slide, please. There it is in Hebrew. Chatan damim. Chatan a groom. Damim blood. You have become a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. See, Moses is her bridegroom. Next slide. Actually, the next two. Uh, her bridegroom of blood. Moses is, is her groom, but Moses is also the deliverer of God's people. See, the understanding of the bridegroom of blood is the key to the key of the covenant of relationship. Come on. Come on. We are the bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom of blood. All the way back there in that story, we have the archetype and the foreshadowing of what this really means. The only way that Moses, or really the only way that we can enter into the true identity of being sons and daughters and of the firstborn is to pass through, to pass through the covenant of the bridegroom of blood. Because of circumcision. And no longer is it a circumcision of flesh, it's now a circumcision of the heart. You want your identity. You want to see God move in your life, man. You have to adopt the understanding that He is the bridegroom and He's coming for His bride. With all due, dude, I, we've taught like what it means to be a disciple. We've taught what it means to be a bondservant. We've taught what it means to be a son and daughter, a child of God. We've taught about it all, man. But I'm telling you that there's a key component is that you and I need to step into Zipporah's key and understand what it means to be a bride before a holy groom. And the sealing of the relationship is a covenant of, of blood. Blood of the bridegroom. The blood of Jesus, the groom, spilled his blood for the covenant relationship of marriage between you and he. And I and he. Revelation chapter 21. As I read during, wor during worship, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Why don't we stand, please?
We need to put the revelation of being the firstborn. The identity. Before the acts of ministry, this is going to really drive you crazy, some of you, if you're not understanding, grab me. We've got to actually go to the final slide. Um, please hear my heart here. You need to put the concept and the understanding of covenant relationship before salvation. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's burning me at the stake here. Too many of us accept Christ because we just want to be saved and not die. You're like Moses. You can't just get saved so that you don't die and have eternal life. That's an act of Moses. You need to say, I want to have relationship with the groom, with the father, and an extension of the relationship and the extension of the covenant is that you get to have eternal life. I've always asked this question, and please don't stone me yet, but I always ask this question, would you be willing and would you still want would you still want to go to heaven if God was not there? Eternal life, everything's perfect. He has it all set up, but he's removed. Would you still want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there, if God wasn't there, there's this perfect place and you have eternal life? What's your motivation for going into eternal spiritual places? Just for what you get as salvation? Or, or, or an expression that I, I want to sit at the feet of my groom. I want to stare at his eyes. I want him to stare at me. I want to see and hear his heartbeat. Or you just get saved so you get to live forever and like hang out with a bunch of people and have a big dinner. Or you're like, I want to go to heaven so I can stare at he who sits on the throne of God. For all eternity, saying holy, holy, right? Come on. And so, Father, I pray right now that we could have this key of Zipporah. Lord, I pray right now that we would have a revelation and an understanding of covenant. Lord, that we would not just be chasing the actions. We would not just be chasing the calling. That we would not just be chasing the anointing that's on our life. And the things that God wants to do with us. The reality is God will kill it like he would kill Moses if you don't understand the covenant relationship first. Father, I pray right now, right now, Lord, in this place, in this house, in this church, Lord, as this church grows, that we always put relationship before the act. We always put your beauty in the temple before every act. And Father, I pray for those people in the church who are, who are still a baby in, in, in the, in, amongst the reeds, Lord. Lord, that they be released, that that orphan spirit would just break off of them, God. Lord, that they wouldn't just pretend that, 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 that they're, they're so good and so in right standing with you because they're always doing things, Lord. But Lord, that would be broken back. And like Moses, that they would be forced forced to confront the psychology of the past, that they be forced to confront the understanding of covenant and covenant relationship. We thank you, Lord, that you are the bridegroom of blood.
that you poured yourself out like a drink offering to pay the marriage price for us. But now, let us adopt the circumcision of flesh, the circumcision of the heart. Jesus' name.